How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Axum at the point guard with Hood, Hayward, Johnson, and Favors. Axum driving behind the back. Now collects himself, crosses over, goes to the basket, puts it off the glass, and in. Dante Axum. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz, Thursday, March 2nd, Facebook Live edition. Your questions, plus we'll look at what possibly could have happened last night to the Jazz. How big a deal is it? What's the playoff projections? I make my first end-of-the-year playoff projections for where the Jazz are going to finish. little conversation about the offseason and how tough it's going to be on teams and your questions all on a Thursday edition of Locked on Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's program. Really certainly appreciate you doing so. We do this each and every day, Monday through Friday, give you sometimes 15, sometimes 30 minutes. Today will probably be a longer edition with your questions. A lot have already come in, and we try to make it uh, an enjoyable interchange for you. Today's show is brought to you, as Thursday's shows often are, by Shamrock Auto Group. We certainly appreciate the group over at Shamrock, Rob Taylor, and what they do over there. If you're looking to buy or purchase a truck or car, uh, think about doing it with Shamrock Auto Group. Shamrock Auto Group uh, really focuses on nearly new or partially used cars. They also uh, really, truly what they're all about is the customer service, and that's what makes them uh, feel like. I, I sent Rob an email. I said, let me, let me just make sure in your mind why you're different. And here's what he said. The salespeople are helpful and nice. There's no pressure. Uh, if it isn't a big deal if a customer doesn't buy from us, but it is a big deal that we take care of the needs of our customers, everyone at Shamrock will work very hard to help every customer get a great car or truck that fits their need and their budget. And you can see it on the Google reviews uh, for Shamrock. Interesting backstory when Rob started Shamrock Auto Group, the first thing he did is general manager is a mechanic. So when they're buying cars, there are no surprises. He knows exactly what he's getting. Uh, and that's why... It, in Rob's mind, they have over half their customers are return customers. Check it out. Check out Shamrock Auto Group. Look at the Google reviews on it, and you will see this incredible customer service loyalty, and that's what really Rob is most proud of. You can check it out at Shamrock Auto Group to see their latest listings, 801-319-2250. If you're considering purchasing a car or a truck in the next few weeks, give Shamrock Auto Group a call. They'll save you money. They'll give you a super nice vehicle, great buying experience. Be good. Uh, so check it out. 801-319-2250. Out in Pleasant Grove, people come from out of the state all the time. A huge percentage of their people are out of state because it's worth saving that kind of money. Uh, so give them a call. 801-319-2250. That's Shamrock Auto Group. All right, we start each and every show nervously now with pins across the world. And I'd like you to send yours in at dlock09 at gmail.com. It's your story of where you're listening from and how you became a, and what it is that made you uh, become a 
jazz fan. So uh, please send it in. Uh, here is one today from Gregory Nell. And uh, Gregory Nell, I live in St. George, Utah. I've been a jazz fan since my first year playing junior jazz at age 8. 1993, the year the All-Star Game was held in Salt Lake. I was 7, and my mother got tickets to attend the game at the then Delta Center. Tried very hard to convince me to go with her. Uh, there was... This was still before I had started to fall in love with basketball and with the Jazz. So as a naive child, I declined. Oh. Uh, my mom attended with her cousin instead of me. Within less than a year, I fell in love with the sport and the Jazz and have since come to realize what a historic day of basketball I missed. It's all right. You were seven. Uh, John and Carl, of course, won the MVP in that game. With an introduction to the world of the Utah Jazz fandom that would have been uh, for a young co- child. Regardless, I've lived... A life of jazz fandom ever since with a short uh, fallout immediately following John and Carl's retirement. The only Christmas I can vividly remember as a child was the one I refer to as Jazz Christmas where my parents got me a Stockton jersey, jazz shorts, jazz blanket, a new basketball, a wastebasket with a jazz logo on it. John was always and will be my favorite player, my role model growing up. His shot against the Rockets that sent the Jazz to their first finals is etched in my mind and heart forever. And I'm not ashamed to say it without a date, one of the happiest moments of my life. I find myself about once a year or so finding the clip on YouTube and re-watching it so I can in a small way, relive that moment. It's my ringtone, by the way. I have Hot Rod's call of it as my ringtone. Uh, my, uh, went to my first, took my eight-year-old son to his first game, November 23rd against the Nuggets. Uh, I bought matching jazz shirts for us, and my son was mesmerized by the Jumbotron, just kept asking me what we have to do to be shown on the big screen. I told him we had to act crazy during down moments when they started showing people in the crowd, so that's what we did. And suddenly during the second time out, there we were on the giant screen. We started flipping out with excitement. In that moment, I realized that a special night I had planned for my son could not have gone any better. The jazz... Had a great game. They blew out Denver, and my son and I created a priceless memory we'll never forget. That, my friends, is a great pin across the world from Greg Nell. That's what uh, it's all about to be a Jazz fan. Limited home games, by the way, uh, for the rest of the year. All right, so if you're tuned in live on Facebook Live and you have a question, send it in. I've taken some before. We'll get to them. I want to get to uh, two things here early. Uh, React to last night's performance. I then got home and playing with 538, and I'll explain it. Kind of, I did this last year. It turned out to be really accurate. Um, I had us missing the playoffs, and we did. Uh, or I had us playing that Dallas game. We had to win. Uh, so I've done the same thing a little earlier this year than I did last year. But uh, we will, uh, you know, monitor it and see. And there's a lot of room left for where this can this can really waver. All right, so... Last night was just bad, I and I'm surprised. I didn't expect it. I didn't think the travel was that bad. Uh, I, I, just were bad. There, you know. Here's what's interesting and going to be worth watching coming up. We play a lot of games coming up against the best offensive teams in the NBA and the hottest offensive teams in the NBA. Uh, depending which way you want to look at, it. that's the number two offensive team in the NBA over the last twenty games, or over the last ten games, maybe less twenty now, and. Sometimes I think that's hard that our defense, as good as it is, this league's an offensive-based league. Offense wins. And so when you play one of these teams that's that good offensively, you have a little bit of a rut. But last night, our defense was just bad. By the way, we play the Warriors. They're the last 20 games are the number one offense in the NBA. I think we're done with Denver. Cleveland, we have another game against. Washington's fourth best offensively, another game. Houston, we play again, they're five. Minnesota, we play, they're six. We play them again coming up. Memphis is the seventh best offensive team in the NBA. No one's talking about that in the last 20 games. We've got them again, I believe. Nope, we're done with Memphis. 
Uh, Miami's eight, Boston's nine. Clippers are the tenth best offense in the league. Recently, Spurs are eleventh. We're twelfth. So we've got a lot of those uh, teams uh, still coming up. But last night was an offensive issue. That's as bad as we have been offensively in some time. I have my uh, game, jazz game by game breakdowns and and everything like that. And uh, that's that's as bad as we get. I and I I don't really quite frankly, have an answer to why. Um, it, uh, uh, sorry. Like, I probably should, in some capacity, have an answer for you if I'm doing this show and I'm an expert of some sort. Uh, but the only thing I can think of, and this is where I just think one game links to another, and I'm not trying to... I just... this is I mentioned this in yesterday's show, if you listen. Dante Exum's inability to play in the well in the Washington game, but more importantly, the Oklahoma City game, meant that George Hill suddenly played 38 minutes in that game. And so George Hill wasn't right yesterday at all. He just didn't have a good game. I mean, nor did, frankly, much of anybody. But when George Hill doesn't have a good game, suddenly and the, J- the Jazz don't have a good game, uh, and Hayward was off a little bit, and... Now the Jazz are suddenly not very good, and some of that, I, I don't know, but my quick idea is that some of that stems off of the fact that he had to play 38 minutes in a high-tech game, high-pressure game the night before. He hasn't been playing 12-minute uh, sequences very often, and he had to go play an entire 12-minute uh, stretch in that third quarter because they couldn't go to Dante's. They were making that comeback, and that that lingered into the game, and then when George wasn't very good, uh, the Jazz weren't very good. Uh, the offensive rating last night was an 86.2. Uh, we have only been worse once or twice all year long. We were worse against Golden State on that December 20th game where we didn't play anyone. Uh, and other than that, I th- think that's the worst offensive game. We had an 83.6 early in the year. That was the third game of the year against the Clippers. Uh, but otherwise, that's the worst offensive game we've had all year long. Oh, wait, I take it back. We had a 76.7 just recently uh, against the Clippers. We just can't seem to play the Clippers, um, which is not a great sign. We'll get into that. Uh, but that's one of our worst offensive nights, and I think that does stem a little bit from if George is off then and the other, and we don't have Rodney, and everyone's played a little extra, and that happens. All right. Uh, bad loss, though. You, it's a game you're supposed to win, and we we're terrible. So I don't know what else to say about it. Here's what I did do last night, uh, and this is a project I worked on last year. I went through using 538's win projections, looked at the Jazz, Clippers, Oklahoma City, and Memphis, and I broke the remaining part of the season into uh, into kind of seven different categories. And you probably could do it a little bit frankly, more than that. So certain wins is games that are an 80% chance of win or better. Uh, and 538 gives you the win probability in every game. Likely is 65 to 30. Should win is 55 to 65. Pick them is the five percentage points on either side. Could win is 35 to 45%. Doubt it is 20 to 35%. And nope is zero to 20. And if you really look at anything under 35% and above 65 as wins, it gets kind of interesting. So let's take a look at this. The rest of the way... Games in which the teams, the Jazz, Clippers, Oklahoma City, or Memphis have games in which are certain wins. 80% win probability or more. Memphis has six. The Clippers have four. The Jazz have two. And Oklahoma, uh, four, and Oklahoma City has two. Now, Oklahoma City's numbers are a little skewed because they're better than they have been. They're the one team that's really improved uh, based on their season. And so they're going to be a little different. Uh, 
if you take likely 65% win probability and up, and those are games I think you're going to win, the the Memphis Grizzlies, who currently have 36 wins, the Jazz have a, uh, 37 on the season. The Grizzlies have 11 of those games. So the Grizzlies have the easiest schedule by a considerable amount of the Memphis, Oklahoma City, Clippers, and Jazz. They were all within two wins of each other right now. So 11 for Memphis, 9 for the Clippers, 7 for the Jazz, and 7 for Oklahoma City. And I'll say it again, this takes point differential into a large part of it. We're probably not as good as our point differential. And Oklahoma City is better than their point differential. So... When I read that, that's a little unnerving. Middle of the range games. So anything from 35 to 65, you know, should wins or could wins or pick in the middle. The Jazz have uh, 10 of those. The Clippers have 10 of those. Memphis only has six. And Oklahoma, this is the killer. Oklahoma City has 12 of those middle pack games. 35% chance to win to 65% chance to win. They have 12 of them. If they're actually as much better as I think they are, those are games that right now you you probably project them to go win an extra one or two of those and you project. Games that you have almost no chance to win, well, only two teams, Memphis and the Jazz, both have games that are under 20%. But 35% or below, the Jazz have the most of those at four. Clippers have three. Oklahoma City has three. And Memphis has three. So if you're looking at this, the Jazz have by far the hardest schedule of any of the four teams kind of battling four through seven in the Western Conference anymore. They have the fewest amount of games that are either that they are likely or certain to win at seven, while Memphis has 11, Clippers at nine, and Oklahoma City at seven. Their middle-of-the-pack games, they have the second most, so they're going to have to really pull off a bunch of those road wins on the East, their middle-of-the-pack games, and... Oklahoma City has the most, and they're the most improved team. And then of the games that they have almost no chance, the Jazz have the highest amount. So here's how kind of playing, here we sit on March 2nd. On March 15th, the way I projected out, Grizzly, the Jazz will have 42 wins, Clippers will have 41, Memphis will have 41, and Oklahoma City will have 40. So we'll be similar to where we are. By April 1st, the Clippers will have 47, the Jazz will have 46, Memphis will have 46, and Oklahoma City will still be sitting at 44. By April 10th, when everyone's played 80 games, Memphis will then be into the fourth spot at 50. The Jazz and the Clippers will be at 49, and Oklahoma City will be at 47. The final two games of the year... The Jazz closed with at Golden State and home against San Antonio, so the Jazz split. Uh, the Clippers end up winning two two of them to get to 52. Oklahoma City wins both, and Memphis wins one. So the way I have it projected out right now is that the Clippers and Memphis tie at 52 wins. The Jazz at 50 and Oklahoma City at 49. So the Jazz at six, but only a game up on Memphis. And remember, go to that middle pack where Oklahoma City has all of those games, those twelve game or those those twelve games against kind of should have pick them, could have wins that are all based on how they've played on their previous roster. Uh, 
I think there's a and Oklahoma. If we don't go win in Oklahoma City, which we're not favored to do, we're going to have to win that game. Then they have the tiebreaker. I think there's a real chance they're going to get to 50, which gets us all. Everyone gets to 50, which would be an incredible season for the Jazz, and we end up seventh, going to San Antonio. Ah! Uh, that. If you ask me to guess right now, and I mean, we're talking, there's four possibilities, right? And I think my guesses are 28% this and 24% this and, you know, 26%. I, I think it's all pretty even. But that's my guess right now is that we finish seventh in the West with 50 wins. Oh, how brutal is that? And that, by the way, and then you got to go play San Antonio in the playoffs which is, you know, that's a mojo game. You know, we got swept by them last time. You're going into San Antonio. They're not going to lose at home. You're down. You're down two games to none before you even get home. Uh, there's nothing. I can get pretty dour. I can get pretty, pretty dour when we start talking about those possibilities. That there's nothing. There's nothing good about that. Three against Houston. Maybe they should have a bad shooting night. But boy, Mike D'Antoni may be leading a second revolution of the NBA. They, they killed. They killed the Clippers last night. By the way, as bad as our last loss was last night and our loss was terrible, the Clippers is worse. Clippers' loss last night is at home healthy against the Rockets and just blown out of the building. 122-103 only because they outscored him by 11 in the fourth quarter. The Rockets scored 34-36 and 38 in the first three quarters of that game. I mean, that game was a abs- – I, I listened to Brian Seaman, their great play-by-play in the Clippers. That was an absolute, uh, absolute boat race. And that's 35 minutes of Chris Paul, 34 minutes of of uh, Blake Griffin. That's, that's the Clippers trying to think they're close. Here we come. Let's get going. Uh, come and get you. And the Clippers have a brutal schedule coming up, by the way. Clippers, by the way, have lost three of their last four. Now, in fairness, it's Golden State, San Antonio, and Houston. Uh, so they just might not be as good as those teams. Uh, but their little schedule run here is is really nasty. Uh, and the same thing that we have, we, do, we play Friday a back-to-back home game. It will be the last time we play a back-to-back home game for a month. Hey, it all evens out. We've played more home games. I mean, everyone plays 41 and 41. No one schedules any worse than anyone else's, but it's, it, there are times where it's tough. They, listen to what they do here. They go to Milwaukee and Chicago for a back-to-back, two-game road trip, two days out, come back for one game against Boston, and go back out to Minnesota, Memphis on a back-to-back. They play five games in seven nights in five different cities in two Two different time zones, neither of which are bordering each other. They then come home to play Philly and head to us on March 13th, go back home for one against Milwaukee, go back out to Denver on the back end of a back-to-back, come home for two, Cleveland and New York, go and then have the Lakers at home, which is a home game, and then go back out, and then they settle down. They play. The Clippers will charge late with their schedule, but they have a brutal stretch uh, coming up right now. Uh, one quick thought for you. Uh, on the off season, so I think that there's going to be uh, a real problem in the NBA in the off season because if you're an NBA player, let's take George Hill for example, and Evan Turner gets four years, seventy million, 
and you look at Evan Turner, you're a million times better than Evan Turner. You're not taking, you're not even taking four years, 80 million if Evan Turner got 70. And the fact is that the salary cap is not going up that much. So that the dollar figures aren't there. If you're Nerland's Noel, you're not taking less than Timothy Mozgov's four years, 64, right? You're you're not taking less than Bismack Biombo's, what is it, four year seventy two. The Bismack Biombo four year seventy two and the Evan Turner four year seventy. Players know that they like I like players say like I'm better than I'm better than Evan Turner. I'm better than Bismack Biombo. This is a real problem for teams in this offseason. because the other thing that is truthful here on all this is despite all of the money. Most of the contracts in the last season, offseason, and, and you got to think about this for a second, that were signed to market value rather than production value. So if you pay your player to production value, you're paying him to what he's actually contributing. His, if he's per, com, contributing 20%, you pay him 20% of your salary cap, whatever. If you, what the, the teams that signed everyone to market value, Evan Turner, Bismack Biombo. Um, they've already had to ditch players because of it, right? Orlando had to trade Serge Ibaka because of it. Portland had to try, trade Plumlee because of it. So if you look around the league, those teams that went and played market value last summer had a problem with it. And what's going to happen in this offseason that's going to get really funky is I think half the teams are still going to be playing market value. I got to get players. I got to get players. I got to keep my job as a GM. And half the teams are going to be playing production value. And it's an interesting game because I would hope that Dennis Lindsay plays production value, but it also means you might not get someone you want. But long term, you're better off. You're you're not good if you signed Alan Crab. Like what's Alan Crab? What was Alan Crab's contract? Right. Like you're not in you're not in a good place right now. If you signed Alan Crabb with a trade kicker to a four-year, $75 million deal, you're not in a good place right now if you traded, signed Bismack Biombo. You're not in a good place if you signed Luel Dang. They were market value, but they weren't production value, and you have to stay with production value if you're going to build a decent franchise. Does that make sense? All right, let's go to your questions. I'm going to go early to the first set of Facebook questions that came in early night. There were also some Twitter questions, and then I'll try to get to the live ones uh, as well. All right, uh, 20 comments. All right, we're going to fly through these. Do you think we'll get to 50 wins this season? P.S. You're the best. I actually only read that because he said, P.S. You're the best. Not true. Uh, Benson, I do think so. I just said, but I also think we're going to be the seventh seed. How about that? Uh how worried should we be after a loss to Minnesota last night? I would. I mean, if you thought we were going to win the NBA title after we beat Washington, then you should be really worried. If you thought Washington and Milwaukee were really good performance, Oklahoma City was a good performance last night. It was just a night in the NBA. I wouldn't be too worried. It wasn't good, though. We've got to – you know, there, there's some things that – there's some numbers on us depending which way you want to play the numbers game right now. I can give you all the rankings and the records. And, and then there's like we haven't beat a Western Conference playoff team since December. Like actually, Kristen Kenny gave that to me last night. Like that's not a that's not a great um, it's not a great sign. Uh, we've lost at home to Memphis, Oklahoma City, Clippers, and Minnesota recently. Like that's not a great sign either. So 
you know, it's probably going both ways right now on where you could go. Just to signs if you're an optimist or pessimist. Curious how the playoff seedings compared to what the seedings would have been after 20 games. You know what? If you go to my Twitter.com, that's my pinned tweet. I kept it there for the year. So um, you can go find that at uh, Twitter.com, Lockdown Sports. And my pinned tweet is what the standings were, I think, after 20 or 25 games because it's always actually the best uh, indicator. With the upcoming renovations, Serena, do you think the All-Star Game River will come back to Salt Lake? It's a great question. We have the hotels to do it. Um, there's a chance. doesn't seem likely. Uh, we're going to L.A. doesn't seem likely, but you never know. There's a chance. What is the likelihood of retaining George Hill beyond this season? Uh, I think it's going to be a simple question of whether George, how much money George is willing to take less which most players never do, to be in a winning situation. Now, here's where this gets tricky. So I think Brooklyn or Philadelphia or someone like that could offer George uh, close to max money, if they're, or Phoenix. or it, somebody, somebody could. They're bad situations. So then the next question is, well, all right, how much less am I willing to take to be in a situation where I've got my career high in shot attempts, career high in points, career high in – okay – that's that's his his viewpoint. This is all from his perspective. Well, wait a second. If I'm going to take that cut already, if I take another cut, I can go to San Antonio and be in an even better situation. That's his viewpoint. Okay, Th- those are the things that actually like ignoring our our viewpoints. We'd like him back. Those are the three levels here um, that you're going to have to look at, and and the simultaneously we're going to have to look at the rest of the league and try to determine like if. Where do we believe Dante is? What other point guards are available? Are we better off signing one of the, you know, production value, right? Production value versus market value. Because um, George Hill's market value is going to be close to a max and his production value is going to be less at 31 years old. And so then are we better off signing, I, I ran, you know, I ran through a bunch of names yesterday, trading for somebody who is not as good but is $8 million and you have Dante and – you go with that, and you then are able to maybe give Rodney Hood an extension that you wouldn't otherwise, or you keep Favors at his $11 million and you re-sign Joe. And, you know, we're going to have moving pieces here, and it's going to be either-or decisions along the way. Uh, so it's pretty complicated. But from his standpoint, I think it's an easy tier. You know, tier one is I just take the money, which I have no problem with, frankly. Um, it's his last big contract. Maybe he should just do that. Number two, I want to stay in a good situation, so I'll take less money. Wait a sec. I'm already taking less money. How much more or less can I get, take to even get in a better situation? Okay. Um, is it just me, but as it feels like every time we lose a heartbreak or a very close game, the next one's a stinker? I don't know that. I haven't looked at it. Um, that's easy to look at and see if it's true, but I don't think we've had very many stinkers this year, so I'm not sure. Um, you know, we played four games, six nights, four different cities. I guess it was a travel thing. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Uh, what happened to the Jazz list? I, we just were bad. Uh, with with the, there being a chance Gordon Hayward could walk after the season, don't you think we should have traded him before the deadline? Big, big risk by Dennis Lindsay. Yeah, but the other angle, uh, yeah, we could. We could we could go to San Antonio as the seventh seed, get swept, and both Hill and Hayward leave. Like, there's your worst-case scenario. Um, 
Yeah, but we can't just be trading guys every time they become a free agent because we're scared that they're going to leave. We've done everything we can for Gordon. He's got a great relationship with Quinn. He worked the offseason with the training staff. He and Johnny Bryant, and he became an all-star. Like, at some point, we've got to believe in ourselves enough that guys are willing to stay and play for us. And so, therefore, you just can't – we can't be the franchise that every time someone's a free agent and might go somewhere, they lose. Sure, if he leaves for nothing, it's painful, right? It's really painful. You got to fill the gaps and try to figure it out and do some drafting, and uh, it's painful. No, no question. The, but I, I, you know, I, I think the bigger risk is let's say let's say Boston had offered us the the number three, you know, the top three pick, and you go get it, and you maybe you got I don't know one of their players too, Jalen Brown, and so now we're just starting over again. Like, so we're starting over with the, the third pick and Jalen Brown and Dante Exum and Rodney Hood and Rudy Gobert, and we win 27 games next year. Like, I just don't think and, – and maybe we're going to do that anyway. Uh, but I think we had to take the run at it and see where we can be and how good we can be. We just don't know enough yet. Um, you have talked a lot about Dante would benefit by playing in the D League. Any idea why he only practiced with the Stars a few times this year and then didn't play? I don't know. It was a weird circumstance. It didn't seem to line up, right? Neto, Burks, and Dante went and practiced with a D-League team. Then the next day, Neto and Burks played, but Dante didn't. It didn't, it didn't match up. I don't, I don't know the story. Uh, I don't know if there is a story, but it didn't match up. I agree with you. Good, good recognition on your part of, like, the reporter knows of, like, that doesn't seem to line up. Uh, the Clippers have a really good team. How do you think we match up against them in the playoffs? What are the odds the Jazz make it to round two? I, honestly, I think the odds of us making round two are, are slim. It would be a huge upset. Um, a really huge upset when you consider, you know, Memphis has got Marcus Ole, Mike Conley, and Zach Randolph, who've played like a thousand games together and I think been to a conference finals together. And Oklahoma City is pretty inexperienced. We're not going to play them in the first round, I don't think. And the Clippers have... You know, Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, and Blake Griffin, who've all been through multiple playoff series together, and J.J. Redick, and we're sitting here with no experience at all trying to beat one of those teams. Not to mention that the players we're talking about on those teams are great. Um, I I, th- I think it would be a stretch, and I think that fa- what our record is against below 500 teams and, abo- and 500 teams this year is revealing. So um, I, I hope we win a playoff series, but I think that expect you know ha- t- Boston has not won a playoff series yet. Toronto, it took them I think four years before they won a playoff series. You don't usually go into the playoffs and play much more experienced teams who've done it before and go beat them very often. Uh, it's why, frankly, the fourth seed is incredibly important for us to get, but uh, the numbers I did last night have the fourth seed at 52 wins, and we needed last night if we were getting to 52, and frankly, we probably needed the night before. Uh, I have us coming in at 50. Trying to find two wins is hard. Really, really hard. Um, Jennifer Edwards, Celtics have a real chance of being Eastern Conference representative in the finals, if not this year, then very soon, and the Jazz themselves cannot seem to figure out the Celtics uh, uh, Hayward, why wouldn't he bolt? I wouldn't blame him, but if he, it would hurt to get nothing for him, would it be a serious reset mode at that point? We'd have Rudy and a bunch of developing to do. I mean, we'd have Rudy, which really means we have an identity in who we are, and I think that's really important. But, yeah, no, you lose Gordon Hayward in the offseason. It's not great. Like, let's not kid ourselves. The guy's been a stud. We've built him up, turned him into an all-star. He's turned himself into an all-star. He's an incredible uh, player. I mean, I did 
podcast with David Thorpe of, uh, and I argue he's as good as Jimmy Butler and Paul George. So yeah, absolutely. If Gordon leaves in the offseason, it's a blow. Like it's now we're, you know, then you'll start to hear, I'll tell you, but Hey, if it's a blow and we're in decent position to deal with it, which is true. You've got Dante hopefully developing still, and you've got Rodney, you got Rudy in the middle and, but yeah, it'd be a huge blow. There's no question. Um, you know, I think the one thing I think about the other night in Washington when, when Gordon gets those two big shots, like if he's in Boston, he's never getting those shots, right? Those are Isaiah's shots, and he's not getting them, and he's not playing with the ball in his hands. So there's a lot of reasons why, systematically, I'm not sure that's a great matchup for him. And can I remind everybody that Boston has not won a playoff series yet? I do think they're going to probably finish second in the East, and they got a real chance to make a run this year, and they, they've built themselves up nicely. They're a year ahead of us in the process, if you kind of look at where they are, and They've been to the playoffs twice. We have not, only because they're in the Eastern Conference and got in at below 500 one year, and they haven't won a playoff series yet. So they're not, like, dramatically far ahead of us, and they're in the East. Like, if we're in the East, we're the second-best team in the East, aren't we? Right? We're going to be seventh in the West at 50, and we're probably the second-best team in the East. Do you think the Jazz being one of the – do you think one of, being one of the Jazz greats with 20 hanging in the rafter one day if he stays long-term is uh, something that will enter – Hayward's mind in free agency. Sure. I mean, he's got a real chance to leave a legacy here. If he thinks he's got a chance, if he thinks the organization gives him the opportunity to win, and I think the organization's shown him that. Uh, when George Hill was out, we had a problem with driving point guards. We figured this, his return would fix the issue. My eye test says George's return has made a huge difference defensively against those point guards. Am I right? Um, we've changed a little bit subtly what we're doing defensively on some things that were as good until last night. Actually, last night's defense wasn't really that bad. Um, the uh, And George makes it better. He's so strong. Dante's been better, too. Dante picked up a foul last night on Carl Anthony Towns on a play that he never used to do correctly. So you're seeing some growth there. Um Uh, Jennifer continues on her. Okay, I, Jennifer, I got it. Um, Matt Moon, I cannot introduce you to Joe Ingles. One of these days I'm going to say yes. Jennifer, with I love the passion. Like three full messages today. Long each time. You're awesome. Um, Jennifer, the basic question, their next question was about this the Stars League and we don't have a top five or top ten player. So if you believe that, you have to have a top five or top ten player, which I generally believe. And you believe that the only goal is to win a championship, then you better be a fan of the process. So you would then like us to win 12 games a year for probably six to eight years. Take about five or six shots at a top three pick and see if we click and get no injuries. That That's, that's the right answer if that's your belief. Um, how does one get an internship... Uh, we hire interns every September. We have a great program. I've got a great group of people this year. They've done a super job. Um, and it's a really wonderful program. If you can deal with me, like, getting mad and basically breaking part of my finger last night because I banged my hand on the table because I was pissed about something. Like, if you can deal with de- working with an insane human being um, and have that expectation around you all the time, it's a great program. Keep an eye out for it in September um, and October. Uh, we aren't good at home anyways. We lost the same amount of games at home on the road oh, for playoffs. Um, so this is a great question from Weston about in late game the other night at OKC, Gordon was off the ball, and uh, we just went to Rodney, and Gordon didn't get touches. 
so what was going on there was Andre Robertson was guarding Hayward, who's probably as good an on-ball defender in the league. Westbrook, who's not a great defender, was on Hill. Abrinas was on Hood, who's a terrible defender. And so what the Jazz were doing is they were bringing Hood into an exchange with Hill to get Abrinas onto George Hill. And then, or if they stayed, then they get Rodney in the post on Abrinas. And the Jazz scored, I think, on eight of their final 11 possessions. So it's hard to complain about what they're doing. I, I said during the play-by-play, wow, Gordon's really not involved. Then it took me a moment. I saw what they were doing. There was an actual game plan and an idea, and it actually worked very well. Um, they never really went back to Gordon in that game. He got the one shot he missed, which was the first time he touched the ball in a long time, which was, I thought, you know, that's a tough scenario for someone. Uh, what are my thoughts on Quinn's sub-rotations recently? I've noticed some early subs for George Hill. The timing seemed weird. So what they're doing on that is they want George Hill to finish every quarter. So he starts the first comes out, comes back in to finish the quarter, probably doesn't always start the second, comes back and finishes the second, same thing in the second half. So they want him always finishing quarters. So that's the concept there. Now, Dante wasn't good enough against Washington and against Oklahoma City to stay on the floor, and so therefore it blew up the rotation. And last night, Rodney's not in, so it blows up the rotation. So the coaches can have their ideal plan, but then when your player doesn't play well enough to actually stay on the floor, it really screws things up. Joe Johnson is now the backup four. Last night they gave Trey Lyles a chance. He didn't deal with it great. Uh, didn't have a very good night. And I would say, I don't know. I, I got It's really hard for a kid who's in a place he's never been before. I understand. I just I would have loved to see more hustle out of Trey Lyles last night than I'd ever seen in his entire life. Like That's what I was hoping to see. Um, out of Trey last night was just more just aggressiveness and hustle and relentlessness and uh, maybe the game didn't allow for it. Maybe nobody else around him was was given that either. Um, so who knows? Uh, fully understand Houston how good Houston is. I still think the Jazz just match up better with the Rockets than the Clippers. Does the sixth seed sound better than the fifth? I just want to play well. I mean, Houston's great, man. Houston's great, but uh, uh, they they might win the West. They're great. Like, people are, people are missing on Houston still. They still don't get it. The last 20 games, Houston's the ninth best defensive team in the NBA. So tell me, tell me, you know, it's Mike D'Antoni. Mike D'Antoni, everyone's just deciding, like, well, if Mike D'Antoni's a coach, then, like, no. They're, they're the ninth best defensive team in the last 20 games. They're, they're, they beat the Clippers by 30 last night in L.A. Like, I don't know I don't know what fans are looking at and making them believe like that they're easily beatable. By the way, they they're taking forty threes a game. Forty. It's pretty incredible. They averaged the last ten games fifty one to sixty. Before they recent brought they averaged forty four. Their offensive rating are just through the roof. I mean, they're just, they're really, really good. And their defenses had some good stretches. Yeah, I, I'm I'm missing why, um, why some, I, I think they're great. I, I mean, I guess you're hoping that they have a bad shooting night. I think just as easily I could 
uh, take a guess that they're they're going to have a good shooting night. So the, I just got a uh, question about Milos Tadosic. Tadosic? I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, so I don't know much about him. I, I've read um, he said the Jazz and the Spurs. He said interest. He has made the comment that he's interested in the Jazz. He's a Serbian. I think he's a Serbian. I probably should know more about him. I don't know um, a great deal about him, frankly. Um, he's a Serbian player who's six five. He played for Cheska Moscow this year. He's a point guard. Um, his name's kind of being mentioned with everyone. I've heard the Nets. I heard the Nuggets the other day. I heard the Jazz. I heard the Spurs. Um, so I don't know a lot about him. One, in- he's a five-time All Euroleague guy. He was the Euroleague MVP many years ago, though, like many, many years ago. I think he might be thirty years old already. So I don't know. I don't know much. Um, the one thing I would say, uh, just out of interest, by the way, I mentioned it yesterday. Is like in theory, we could sign him today with our cap space. His season's not over. You can't do it. But just with his cap space and pay him a bunch of money and then he get, and then pay him for the years going forward. So I don't know. Um, like, is it legitimate? I've never seen him play that kind of thing. Um, I have a problem with Alec Burks and Dante Exum. They seem to make terrible basketball decisions. I think we need to go back to a different line of change. Uh, I don't think Dante makes terrible basketball decisions. I think Dante gets out of control and tries to do too much beyond where his skill level and capabilities are right now, and so he makes some mistakes in that regard. But I don't think he makes terrible basketball decisions. Um, In fact, I think he sees the game pretty well. If we sign Gordon to the max, is he really a player that can take us to the top? Would that handicap our franchise if he plateaus while while other teams have more dominant max players? You'd have to build around him, um, but from Brandon. So, I mean, your two choices are you let him walk and you win – you're struggling or you don't max him out and he leaves like, okay. Like, so you're going to, you're paying Gordon. He's an all-star caliber player. He's a top 30 player, top 20 player in the NBA. You're paying him. Like, it's not really an issue. You're just going to pay him whatever the league's rules say. And then you're going to build around him. Is he as good as James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, James Harden, the six MVP guys? No, he's not. Uh, again, again, I know no one likes this, but if your only goal is to get to the top, then no, we should not. If your only goal is to win a championship, we should not re-sign Gordon. We shouldn't re-sign any of these guys. And we should lose. Like, the process is right. We should lose 70 games a year and just draft in the top three for five to six years in a row and hope we hit and then try to build. The process is right. Uh, It's crazy with all the awesome things Dennis Lindsay has put together and built over these years. They all come crashing down this summer. A life of a small market team in the NBA. I don't know if it's a small market. I mean, I think it's just the NBA, right? I mean, but it all could come crashing down, right? Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, hey, the worst case scenario happens to us, and then we back up to Dante's ACL, and we just start feeling sorry for ourselves that everything went wrong. The other stories: Gordon could sign, George could sign. We find a way to get a Rodney extension done at a decent number, and next thing you know, we've got this core of four guys, and we're moving. And Derek 
I don't know what we do, but hopefully, you know, we have them for another year or then we figure it out or, right? I mean, there's also a lot of positive aspects too, but there's, there's certainly a negative story that can be told. 50 wins is pretty incredible in its own rights. What do we have? Uh, what would have taken that at the beginning? Right. Would have taken that at the beginning. Favors is a key. I'm happy with what I've seen this week. He was great last night. Derek was the bright spot last night. He was the only bright spot last night, but maybe the most important. Dante was pretty good too. Um, I believe this team's morale is down with all the ending of this team at the end starting to reveal itself. What do you think? I think we were awesome against Washington. I think we were awesome against Milwaukee. I think that Oklahoma City hit 12 straight threes in a historical start that's never happened in the history of the game, and then we had a bad night. So, no, I don't see that at all. I thought we we played great. I mean, great. Maybe the best we've played all year. Milwaukee was Washington. Uh, when was the last time a team won a championship with a star player on a rookie deal? I don't think it's happened, has it? If you know the answer, I mean, the Orlando Magic Penny Shack getting to the finals while Michael's on vacation or suspension or baseball um, is probably the only time that guys have gotten key guys on their rookie contract have gotten to the finals. Unless Le- I think LeBron's on his second deal by the time he gets there. All right, that is today's edition of Facebook Live. And uh, it's brought to you by Shamrock Auto Group. Super pleased and thank you to them. Rob Taylor and the guys at Shamrock, if you're looking to buy a car or truck, uh, they'll get a great deal. Fabulous service. 801-319-2250. Give them a call. Give, just call Rob. Just right now, pick up the phone, call Rob and say, Hi, Rob. I just want to say hi. He's such a nice guy. He'll talk sports with you forever. Unless he's on one of his long bike rides which he is right now listening to the show. He's on a very long bike ride listening to the show thinking, oh, my gosh, people are going to all call me. Do it. 801-319-2250. Have a great day. This is Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Napa it takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.